Hey Jeremy. Hey Raphael. What is up? Ugh, I'm so tired. It's so hot. Is it hot in New York? No, it's really nice. It's been uh we've had two really hot days, I would say, but the rest has been this slow spring. Normally New York is like freezing, 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 one nice week and then it's tropical. Right. Um, and that's like the like stench of of warm garbage for like two months. Yeah, yeah, it's all red pee or whatever. But um, <laughs> it's been really nice, I have to say. It's kind of surprising. Okay, yeah, yeah it's like too. We were out like we just had dinner on our patio, and it was like so intense the sun and the heat that we we're like it's and it's six. It's like almost seven o'clock because it doesn't get darker till almost like ten thirty. So. Um, it's like midday sun at 5 p.m. It's really intense. And, but uh, but uh, is it very different, the, the, the feeling in the summer in Toronto and where you are now? Um, it just seems hotter and more. The sun is more intense because we're at a higher altitude. Yeah. So, yeah. And then the winter is colder. Yeah, but sunnier. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. So it's always bright, kind of. Yeah, yeah. And actually, it's great for me, but Kristen is actually a little bit photosensitive. So she's like, oh, always, yeah. She gets headaches but, from the, the yeah. abundance of light. Yeah. But generally, you're always kind of, I have to wear a hat all the time, like, because the sun is always in my eyes or something. Um, but anyway, I can't complain. Why I, would I, complain? I mean, it, it is, you can, you can complain or not complain about the weather. You can accept it, da da da. But I think a big part of me moving to New York is the weather, even though. New York doesn't have the best weather in the world, but the Netherlands is so bad that oh, yeah. anywhere else is better. Yeah, yeah, because it's just like overcast. What like ten yeah. months of the year? I don't know. I I would have. I'm curious if I would go back, how I would feel. But the Netherlands has this sort of uh, hum- humidity, and it's not freezing cold, but it's kind of cold. And then there's a drizzle, and it's humid, so you're just kind yeah. of cold all the time. And then there's yeah, I remember that. then there's the Calvinist thing where you're not supposed to be comfortable and you should be punished if you're happy. Oh, and then yeah. so what they do is everything is like five degrees Celsius colder <laughs> than it should be inside, <laughs> and it's fine. Like you walk in somewhere and you're like okay, it's a little chilly. Put an extra sweater, and but that's the first <laughs> three hours of the day, and then you go on your bike in the rain and your socks are wet, and then you sit somewhere and you're in a cafe. They leave the door open. And now because of the environment and the energy crisis, people are like, oh, save every penny, let's turn off the heat, da-da-da. <laughs> and, uh, like, some point, and then I'm usually there also with the jet lag, so then when you're tired, you also feel colder, and it's just miserable. And being in Germany for three weeks, I was like, oh, these buildings are more solid, and they actually use the heater. This is nice. Yeah, yeah I think it's because maybe their winter is more intense in Germany, no? Like, I don't know. I think more... it's a particular symbolic thing in the Netherlands. of like, I'm mm. tough. I can take it. Uh, uh, heating is for wimps. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're at, I mean, because I come from Toronto, and there, there's a denial that it's that the winters are bad. Here, everyone's like, it's winter. Like, it's a different season. Yeah, it's bad, but it, you know. So yeah, crank up the heat. Put on five sweaters. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Everyone has a fireplace, kind of thing. Um, so I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's hard to imagine living in the Netherlands again just for that reason. And of course, America's messed up and life is very um, unpredictable and precarious or whatever you want to call it. And all that's, you know, the Netherlands is a lot safer. Yeah, but I think the biggest reason for you would be like Japanese food. I think it would all come that's down to That's a big, to big part of it. Yeah. 
<laughs> oh man, we we had we had Japanese brunch, and then we drove to a specialty store that has all, all kinds of miso and special soy sauces, and then we went to a a Korean. It's a it's a tiny grocery store, but they have everything for Korean dinner, but pre-packaged but fresh. Mm, called nice. Little Banchan, and then we have a little uh, gas-powered. Uh, uh, gas burner for the dining table, so we can basically do Korean barbecue at home. And oh, sweet! It was just a really nice day. It's at nineteen degrees Celsius with with half clouds, half sun. It's like oh, it's just great. Perfect. It's it. Yeah. There's a weird feeling in New York when you find a parking spot and you're like, uh, my car is gonna get towed, right? Because this parking spot <laughs> is too, too perfect. Good. And yeah. the the weather today was also like, this is too nice. Like, we should be punished for something. Yeah, yeah, that's your uh, Calvinist thing. So that happens to me when I'm, I have a weekend that, where I don't have like an art deadline and I don't have a lot of social obligations. And I'm like, this this can't be, this isn't right. Wait, like, I can binge watch? <laughs> yeah, someone needs my attention right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have time for a five minute YouTube video, but nothing else. And um, and yeah, what, what was your weekend like? Yeah, our, to our fellow listeners, we often record this earlier in the weekend, and but anyway, we're doing it at the end of the weekend. Um, yeah, actually, I should have probably done more, but I was like, um, I'm going to do some travel coming up. I was just telling you about ping-ponging around, so I thought I should take it easy this weekend and recharge a little bit. Do, do you feel chance. like since uh, the lockdown that you're less excited about travel? Uh, I'm a little less in the habit of it, but I'm going to be, yeah. But I think like traveling back and forth coast to coast is never really fun. Like I'm going to come to New York for a day, come back here, go to Toronto, then go to Europe, um, all on the course of what what are you doing in Europe? Um, well, hopefully they get back to me actually. Hey, if you're listening, uh, <laughs> folks at the, I'm going to do something at the Pompidou, which will be a first for me. Oh, cool. Um, I think Damien is, is, is that the same event he's doing? Oh, something? maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're doing, yeah, that's right. We're in the same show. So yeah, I think we'll, if he's there, that oh, the we'll Pompidou is really embracing the new world. I hope so. Yeah. I, like I, I thought, I mean, it's a, it's taking, it's prompted by a German uh, gallery. It's just an extension of the Zen Okay. Stuff I did, but yeah. But it's always great to go back to France. I speak fluent French. I don't use it nearly enough. So, um, and Kristen's going to be there. She was going to be there on vacation anyway. So I think we're going to do. Oh, it all works around. out. Wasn't there? Yeah. You guys had a deal that your trips would not be related to your work, and it would be true vacation. Yeah, unfortunately, I broke. I, I always break that rule. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you're sleeping in. I'm going to have a coffee with this curator while we're here. Yeah. <laughs> Who cares? Yeah, actually, just before this podcast, that's what I did with the. I I, I snuck a meeting in with. And I well, missed the podcast. Dear time. listeners, yeah, Jeremy's like, five p.m. your time. I'm like, five p.m. my time. Sounds good. And then I <laughs> I get there at five p.m. and I start to get worried because. I know. I'm sorry. Your your eye situation. I always think like, oh, his eye popped out when <laughs> he's in the hospital. It's like a pair of those glasses. I'm just holding it. Yeah. In the springs. Exactly. So then I texted Kristen and it's like, hey, is Jeremy okay? He's like, yeah, he's in a business meeting. And I was like, okay, I guess someone is more important than I am. No, I just got confused of the my time, your time yeah. thing. I, I and I'm in a time zone that no but one is in. Mount, what's funny? Mountain time. What's funny to me about the whole thing is that. I'm pretty precise with calendars and uh, I try to be 10 minutes early for everything and inbox zero and all that stuff. And then you meet 
people working in corporate world and they're like, they reach out to you on Instagram, then answer on text and then send an mm. a, attachment through LinkedIn or whatever chaos <laughs> it is. And, uh, and you're like, how do these companies operate? Everybody's so crazy. I, I try and run everything off of a calendar, um, except on the weekends. So I fucked but up then this weekend. Also, I remember at some point, I don't know if it was on the podcast or personally, where I was asking, do you think I'd do well in corporate structure? And you're like, no, 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 no. There'll be like 10 young kids that could do your job better than you and they'd just run all <laughs> over you. But now speaking to you, I'm like, mm, I think I could do it. Yeah, yeah, sure you could. Um, yeah. It's just you don't like people. And so... <laughs> I guess, yeah, that's very true. Leave me alone. You, you, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, but actually it's a good kind of segue into the topic we had in a way, like organization, disorganization. Yeah, yeah. we have a question from Sam Gantus, 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 I'm not sure. Um, and the question for the pod, what is your folder structure? Nice, concise question bonus points for that one yeah. so what is our folder structure this is like if it was 1900 they'd be like what is your flat file structure or something like that or your filing cabinet structure yeah uh mm -hmm. where do you store your clothes yeah mm, how do you roll your canvases oh yeah 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 uh, or, um yeah how do you prepare your tea mm. no uh it uh, uh, yeah our folder structure is our studio is our Archive is our body of work. It's it, what well, you're really into this because you've shared your folder with me before. Like you almost you're you you think of the folder as a white box gallery, like a cube, and like because you lay your works out in folders. I've seen you you've shared that with me before. Don't you? No. no. <laughs> yeah. Well, this goes back to the the previous episode about websites and that. Um, you develop these categories that are kind of artificial because your brain does everything at the same time and, and you think of all kinds of things and you might think of a piece of audio and a tweet and an essay and you might be scribbling something. But on the computer, it's just there's a GUI so the data is organized in folders and that's what we have to live with. Yeah, so this issue of file systems actually almost comes it comes up like so in my here's my my philosophy is desktop or downloads folder I'll, but I'm a little bit better than that you know how there's people who just save everything to the desktop yeah like every parent I, yeah 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 exactly i save everything and to then, my dropbox and then apple invented these stacks that it just starts sorting things on your desktop well, because they know that there's like this type of person that's yeah. like, why don't you do it for me? You know, like, why am I now in the business of sorting papers? Like, that's, <laughs> I don't want an actual like physical desktop that I have to Yeah, but it, it, to me, it's like this. It depends on what you want to do. So you, the best example is your website. You were like, I'm not going to make an interface for my YouTube archive. I'll just send people to YouTube. Yeah, And I think I'm more of the mindset of like, oh, I would probably make a huge page with the perfect still of each work and a little description in the title and then link to YouTube because I still want to have an organization on my end to, to see. Even if YouTube takes the video down, I know when it was made, yeah. uh, where it was linked, et cetera. Um, 
Yeah, I think you're you're like Frank Lloyd Wright's Waterfall House, and I'm the Waterfall. Um, yeah, <laughs> like, but uh, but uh, don't you think uh, because you have the the day job, you work with people uh, mm-hmm. that the folder structure uh, enables a certain kind of productivity or scaling that is not possible without structure. Yeah, so I think because I've worked in software a long time, I do know that there are these two types of people. Um, in fact, I remember at FreshBooks, we were we had everything in the system. Um, we were like, people will just use search to find it. Like we could just have a single master list of everything and you could have, and then maybe you have a, yeah, a deleted I, list. I, I, but, but, but I anyway, don't we think- used... I don't I just think, want to fin- no, 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 finish no, the no, point. No, 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 no but I, the finish the point because we had, so we used to have the actual list, an archive list, and then a deleted list. And I was like, this is ridiculous. What's the difference between archived and deleted? Anyway, I stupidly removed that. It was like my instruction to the team. I was like, we don't need this archive list. I didn't even consult a user. I was just like, get rid of it. And then of course there was instant protest because people were like, that's how I keep myself organized. Like there's things that are active, but not quite active. And then there's the active active. And then there's the things I don't want showing up anywhere. And I'm, and so, you know, in my head, I was like, we'll just do elastic search, which is like, you know, natural language. Like, you know, we'll, we'll bring up whatever asset is the right asset for the natural language that you type in. The problem is if that doesn't work a hundred percent of the time, um, Basically, but it worked. You know, people assume it doesn't work any other time. Let me give so. you an example. Like, yeah. um, I've been making websites since 1999. Yeah. And things changed. Uh, half of the works were made in Flash. And then uh, 10 years later, you want to recode them. Where do you find them? And, and make sure that it's the latest version, all this stuff. I just find folders very helpful. It's just like, oh, I, I named yeah. the folder with the year when it was created. And then I say, oh, this is the version from 20. This is the version from 2001. This is the version from 2008. This is the version that I used for an exhibition. So I'll put that in the name. If you don't put that in the name of the folder, how are you going to find it? So if you're already naming things, then you might, yeah, it, I know. Yeah. I'm, I know. I'm. I, my thing is a mess. It's a total mess. Yeah, but in like, fact, what, like, what do you do if if someone says, "Oh, we need this video from that era"? I guess you just go to your YouTube and re-download it from there. No, I mean I've lost things, and I, it's taken me sometimes hours to find old stuff. <laughs> and uh, I have gone through several periods of like trying to do a spring cleaning, where you know I have I even had a numbering and file naming system. I kept to it for a little well, bit. It's yeah. almost like a New Year's resolution, and I just couldn't. I couldn't stay fit long enough. But the, the, you know? the classic idea of an artist is that you're so creative that you can't deal with regular life, but you're so good at just coming up with amazing things. And then you have a team of admirers and business people around you who take care of everything. And like, you're like a like a caveman, and you're just <laughs> making things and screaming and and like shouting at everyone and drinking beer and making paintings and you're like ah, <laughs> kick ass and then everyone around you is like hanging the work photographing it labeling it right. selling it and and um and you're so like you're saying, more whiskey more whiskey let's go and that's me is the crude <laughs> like drunkard yeah like like uh, animal from the muppets <laughs> i'll tell you what happens is even if i have good intentions tell me if you've ever been in this scenario you have maybe you're, you're you know you have your perfect system but then all of a sudden your system needs a restart and it's like gotta quit these applications but you haven't saved the files 
in your apps. And the idea of like having to manually save is already almost irritating. Um, and so it's like, oh, you do, this is untitled one, untitled two, untitled three. What do you want to name this? Are you going to sit there and type out all the right names before the restart happens? It could take no, you no, no, no. half an hour. But I, I think we can go back a few steps and first decide like when you make art, you can decide, okay, I'm going to make huge works on canvas that require me to have a physical space and assistance or make huge sculptures. Or you could say, I'm going to do performances, never record anything, and I'm just going to be in the moment, never have an archive, end of story. So you kind of go from, you have like a fluid box, and then you bring things into like the formal archive, it sounds like. Uh, okay, well... Because yeah. how do you even know what something is called before you've made it? That's okay, the other okay. thing I struggle with. So my, I'll just, I'll me, just describe my folder structure, okay? So okay. Let, let's see, let me click through it. So it, there's the documents folder, and I put things in there. Uh, there's one folder called big files, which is mostly videos, which I see as disposable because the code. I've, is, had, is I've had a big files folder before. Yeah. Yeah. There's an administrative folder that's totally separate from work and has, uh, you know, tech stuff, whatever. And then there's the work folder. I think that's what we're talking about today. Uh, wait, and there's, there's work and documentation. Those are separated. Okay. So you do have a top level hierarchy. Yeah. Interesting. So let's say five or six different things. And, then one sep- all these things are local on my laptop and then backed up to the cloud with a service, but they're not in Dropbox. No one can edit these things. Are they on like Google Drive or something? Uh, Backblaze. What's that? It's like a thing to back up your whole computer. Wow. Yeah. But isn't that what Dropbox is? No. So I have Dropbox for collaboration. So all the things I'm working on with Rainier, all the... Yeah. the Backplace. Web stuff, all the software that's in Dropbox that I'm collaborating mm. with, and so uh, the work folder, the documentation that's all like f- uh, finished projects that all goes in yeah. there is like solid. And the Dropbox is more liquid, okay. And the Dropbox has all these files, like one is called Sketch, and it's full of Illustrator files and, and screenshots of things that I might give a weird name like uh, moving rectangles, but I'll just see the thumbnail and I'll see what I ma- made. Uh-huh. Um, and then with Rainier, we have a very strict folder structure. Like each folder has an HTML f- a fo- a folder, a sketch folder, a- an output folder with, with PNGs. It's all sort yeah. of structured like how a programmer would structure. Collaboration really does need some kind yeah. of structure. Otherwise, the person's like, I don't know your system. But then within <laughs> this this sort of software developer structure, we have a folder called later, which is kind of like the fridge. And I put things in that mm. we started. And next to each folder is always a PNG with, with a screenshot of the work. So if, if I can't remember the name exactly, then I'll find it. Oh, that's clever. And, and I could use that. And also the, the archive the, that, that's also in our shared folder, the, like the total. Let me see how many pieces are in there. So the, the finished pieces has uh, what well, is 370 items but with screenshots so divided by two is uh, 140 175 finished software projects and then yeah i mean that's it and in in each one there's every version that's important that we saved we, we're pretty good at deleting things like 
let's say we had five test versions, but if one is good at the end, we'll just save that. And if there's a real change, we'll save another one, but we don't save too much. Okay. Yeah, that I mean, it's pretty simple. Um, I'll create like a project and, folder. And, so and the one lie. thing I, I'm proud of is that whole, all my software work, every sketch, everything, it's three gigs. So, oh, for like twenty three years. Why are you ago. proud of that? I, I like that it's comp, like as opposed to a video artist. Yeah, because like when you were asking how I might find a video, I'd actually just do search by date and size. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like video files are sort of large, basically. Yeah. Um, ignore all of the PNGs that are like two, you know, twenty five k or whatever. Um, I just create like a project folder and then I dump everything in it with no structure, basically. Um, and but I at but, work, but it's if totally you ever feel like re-editing a video, or is it once it's done, it's done. Well, it's the project folder is like a little. Think of it as like. You know, a little studio. To your point, um, it's just not well organized. And but that's there, fine as long as it's like, it, even if it's by year, it's like, oh yeah, it was in that year, and I'll be able to find it. Yeah, but typically over time, all of all the structure, if it becomes a complicated project like UAR, which was that yeah, yeah. AR sculpture museum, it had a big website. I was collaborating with like I think in the end like fifty artists or something. So for that, I eventually had to have structure because I was communicating with the artists. There's contracts. There's like. And so I'll just, but that's emergent. I can't start that project with all the folders ready to go. I just never start that way. It kind of evolves the structure. Otherwise, things are pretty flat and um, all in Dropbox. I stopped using a normal file system. Oh, okay. Like yeah. 10 years ago. I still like that everything's on my laptop. This idea if I'm on a plane and I want to access the files, they're all there. But Dropbox lets you have per, like local files. No, I know. But the, the problem if you rely on Dropbox, you might put more files there than fit on your computer. Yeah, so I allow it to auto-archive. And you're right, if I was on a plane, I'd have access to only like what I worked on in the last week or so. Yeah, And that's because, I'll tell you what the forcing function was for that though. Like I said, I work. you said I work with a lot of big files. I do. But then like Apple got, got stingy like a decade ago with hard drive sizes. They're like blazing fast SSD hard drives. You get 256 gigs for $6,000. <laughs> <laughs> like $6,000 yeah. for 256 gigs in 1995 Thanks, I had like <laughs> I had like more than this and so then I was like okay I guess the cloud is like my hard drive um, but then so you're not scared of um, for some reason relying on that and, and it being a vulnerability and, and it, it, it like it, to me the idea is it's on my laptop, then I have a time machine backup on another drive if this drive fails, and there's an online backup, like those three. That's the yeah, minimum. I did, I did time machine for years and years, but then I went and I noticed all my time machine hard drives had failed. Like I couldn't boot them anymore. Oh, they were, yeah. Like, you know, they were just like... Well, I have time know. machine SSD. Yeah, these were like back in the spinning hard yeah, drive yeah, days. Yeah, yeah. And so I think if maybe I did an SSD, you're right, but then I'm managing multiple versions of those, and I don't know. So... Am I worried? Sure. But Dropbox has been pretty reliable. Yeah. Um, yeah. You're right, though. Like, it could, there could be some massive failure. So the way those cloud storage works is it's not stored in one place. It's typically stored in multiple locations. Like, there's redundant backups. It would be crazy. It could happen. I mean, they would have to get hacked, I think. Yeah. Um, and, and back to the folder structure itself, one yeah. of the things I do most of the time is I 
put the year of a project in the folder name. So if I have I have one folder, the documentation of all the exhibitions. That I don't get. And what do you mean? Well, because isn't the year the year the file was made? Like date no, it's, 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 the, it's the date you might change something in the folder. So uh, like the last There's date created and date edited. There's date modified and date created. Yeah, I don't trust it because if you switch operating systems, that that's... Uh, or if something happens, like if you drag the folder somewhere else or it's on mm. another drive and you, you you zip it and you send it to someone, that might be that metadata might be gone. If it's a final work, then I date it yeah. as if it was like a painting or yeah, something. Yeah, exactly. So like okay. what I'm saying is the, the archive of exhibitions is a very time-based thing. Like you don't change yeah. the date. The date of a work is more liquid. Like you might change yeah. the work over time. Yeah. But an exhibition is like, my show I just had at Museum Folkwang, it goes to the archive and then the archive has yeah. the floor plan, the press release, the photos, the video, and any software that I use. Like it's the whole package of right. of that show. I just have a big documentation folder with uh, with subfolders inside of it for by year. Yeah. But yeah. I should be more organized than that, maybe. Well by year is good enough, I think. Yeah. It it gets a little it shows. gets a little funny when you're preparing a show and it takes two years to prepare and maybe it opens in December and it closes with an event in January and sure. what year does that go in? But yeah. Now all of this to say, like at work, there's like there's a team that manages folder structure and files and stuff, and so. But the other thing is, local files don't exist in corporate. No, context. I understand. Yeah, uh, everything is like um, a file that people share. So yeah. In fact, at but my the, office, so, any so file me, I create automatically shares with my team. Like, I can't have a private file even. No, I, I understand that. But there's something weird to me about, um, let's say I have my final archive of all the software that I've made and that someone just c could go in there and delete stuff and, like, yeah. delete one or two old works. And then I don't think about it for seven years. And I'm like, where is that file? And someone delete the the idea that someone could edit my archive is strange. I know. To Let me. me tell you a, a tragic story though, like that every corporate worker experiences, which is like, the day you get fired or you leave, they slowly shut off your systems, including access to all your files, and you're legally you're not allowed to even like take the files. And so, like I worked for eleven years at FreshBooks, and then. You know, it all disappeared. Now, what did I do? I did scramble <laughs> to like download some of the files. I'm sure they're listening and that's like a breach of contract or something. Um, but I remember when I was letting folks go last year, like uh, from my design team, because it was layoffs time. You know, one of the first questions is, can you send me some of my files for my portfolio? Oh, yeah, yeah. And for designers, this that's is your like currency. crazy. Yeah. Like that co companies will just like shut down your access and you don't have access to these cloud files. Yeah, that's um, really so sad. So I've had to like email and ask people, can you please send me this one image that I worked on? Um, I mean, that's, that's really uh, also the whole, n there's a whole thing now about you have to sign an NDA that you... If even if you leave the job peacefully, is you're not being fired. That you promise not to immediately go to a competitor and give them all your secrets. Yeah, but exactly. Even that is kind of anti-competitive. That no, they've been. Yeah. It's deemed illegal now. Yeah, in, yeah. in Ontario, where I'm from, not here in Alberta, I think. But, but I understand in, like, both sides yeah. of the argument because you could also 
be working at Tesla and then go to Rivian and share yeah. all the secrets. Yeah. No, I totally get it. But I think for designers, it stings particularly hard because we're expected to get a new job with a portfolio. Like the portfolio, I think it's one of the few professions where like people look at your resume and they're like, yeah, I don't care about this. Show me your portfolio. Yeah, you for know? sure. And um, artists similarly have a portfolio uh, orientation, but they don't have to go like shop it around, right? So... Um, and no one snatches no, but, it away but, from but them. But for example, for <laughs> artists, you have the all the context with where your works are over the years, and then you have a museum show, and who holds yeah, the key? Yeah, there's a public record, yeah. Who holds? No, there's no public record. The gallery has that record. And then uh, if that gallery doesn't exist anymore or they something happened to their system, mm. uh, there's a problem. Well, it's an interesting point. Like um, when we were talking last week, like a lot of times I just like... Um, assume certain things are still on the internet like but a lot of them aren't like institutions that have hosted works articles that have been written about me and you should probably archive all those things yeah if you're an artist also i think it's important to archive these things whenever you have to apply for a grant or a visa or things like that the archive is really important to like when I moved oh, to the U.S. That, and, real deal. and and you do the O one visa, uh-huh. you have to show as much press as possible, and you think like, oh, this I don't have to save this. This is not important. And then yeah. the the immigration lawyer was like, no, we need to sit, give them a ridiculous stack of papers so you look professional. It's not enough just to like open up your Instagram at the border and scroll <laughs> through. Look at all these likes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But no, for that, yeah, but. I do think there's the whole issue of the expectations of modern life of being... There's a reason there's people like Tim Ferriss who are like efficiency experts, and that's a profession. to be, Because there's so much organization to life that you almost need a, a coach to be able to manage life. Yeah. And then on the one end, there's, there's the hyper-productivity idea that we invented all this automation, but actually you have to be more arc active in your own organization than ever before and then the other side of spectrum is like be creative be crazy think different think outside the box but also manage your archive like a tax person well it's kind of funny because i keep thinking of um and the tax thing makes me think of like andy warhol and how he put everything in those boxes right his archive oh yeah every day he made a box i guess of whatever he was all the waste from that day was it waste or was it what it were time capsules yeah yeah but i can't remember the frequency like off the top of my head i just know that there are hundreds of them and they're still they're still trying to figure out everything that's in that archive like the warhol foundation um but for our listeners i think the idea is there are hundreds and hundreds of boxes and storage of all this junk that andy warhol would just put in a time capsule box on some frequency, whether it was weekly or daily, it was frequent enough that it wasn't like once a year. Um, and, you know, I think it's like, you know, it's like but the boxes, rags. Yeah, the boxes are crumpled paper. very nice uh, physical analogy to folders. Well, yeah, and it's an example of like maybe the desktop folder or the downloads folder. Yeah, just the mess. It's the found just, things. Just throw it in there. Yeah. yeah. Figure it, we'll leave it to future generations to figure this out. Yeah. But in a way, the whole point of art is to uh, convert all this rubbish into solid things that then the museum s- preserves as cultural memory. So mm-hmm. we're like, 
ah, who cares about this Campbell's soup can? Well, somebody cared, and now we look at it, and maybe a thousand years later, we'll still feel like, oh, that's what the mid-20th century felt like. Well, because there's always those stories of, like, Clement Greenberg walks into Picasso's studio and finds a masterpiece in the garbage. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. And then even with Warhol, it was we've talked about it before, Corey Archangel worked with um, with some folks, I guess, at the Warhol Foundation to find these Amiga works that Warhol had, that they had like stored on a disc and no one had sure. been able to open yeah, yeah, in like yeah. 20 or 30 years, right? Yeah. I doubt those were like properly saved because no one thought they would be of value. I guess that's a question for you. Is like, well, the, the, is there anything in your I structure s- that's like just junk? Like, where do you put the junk? What, what is junk? Um, it's a good question. I mean, no, I, I save everything. And uh, you do, yeah. I mean, I save every exhibition that I do, but I don't know if that's junk. And what about like email? Yeah, that's all in Gmail. But like, you don't you don't do deleting. There's no structure. No, no. Okay, because the people that do inbox zero, I always think to myself, and it's very narcissistic. What will fu- how will future generations reconstruct your correspondence? But you know how people used to save no all I their think letters, this, right? It, it's it's I don't. I wouldn't want anyone to have access to my email after I die. I see that as just conversation. Because mm, I got... Um, Not everything new... has to be recorded. I mean, it, we're doing a podcast once a, you know, but let's say, uh, what is it, like 30 times a year? So we're recording a conversation 30 times a year, but we've said other things. It's just we're recording yes, and in each con- conversation, there's a little hint that'll allow them to reconstruct my folder structure. Yeah. <laughs> but- <laughs> Yeah, but, <laughs> but to future uh, generations. Yeah, I mean, I don't, know. don't have to record everything. Can I share something weird though? Like, I got a new cell phone plan recently. Like, I switched providers, and one thing I what didn't expect because it was ridiculously expensive. And like, um, how much was I, it? It, did, it was costing me like two hundred fifty dollars a month oh, for wow. two phones. Yeah, and now. 125. Yeah, that's that's what we have, something around that. And I can unlimited anywhere in North America, yeah. like unlimited data, unlimited everything. But anyway, regardless, the thing I didn't expect was I lost all my voicemails and I kind of like like oh, finding my voicemails. Oh, I um, never thought about that. Yeah. And there was all these like old memories of people who had called me and my parents when they were younger and like cuz I had like 20 years on the cell phone. <laughs> There's also something nice about letting go of things. Well, it was kind of like that. Um, in, in like so your much phone was like, kind of heavy in your pocket from all those voicemails. But I heard a story recently of someone who this happened to, and it was like it deleted the last voicemails they had of their parents before they died and stuff. And so it's like, you know, some of the, we we're talking about it as if um, our folder structure is for us today. Like, wow, we're for us, like for you, Raph, but like, you know, what if it was more um, like, what if Chris, like, I don't want to say anything bad, but in like, let's say in a hundred years when you're dead, like assuming you can't live that long, you know, a loved one that wants to go through your archive, they need some kind of, I guess, organizing it in some ways to help, helps them like reconstruct, maybe put on a show of your work. Yeah. Or something. Well, it's, it, it's pretty organized. So I think it's going to be okay. Yeah. yeah. But, but for example, it, another approach I decided to only save 100 photos a year of, of personal yeah. photos, and not more than that, because I figured, 
you can't have 100 awesome photos, more, more than 100 awesome photos in a year. So only save the ones I really love. And, yeah. and by, by reducing that number, then when you go through your old photos, there's, uh, it's much more fun to go through photos when you've done some editing. Well, it's interesting because a friend of mine is using a new piece of software. And tell me what you think of this. It's like an AI-enabled piece of software that scans everything on your computer and in your, like, whatever cloud stuff you can connect. And then it's like, it helps you find connections uh, between things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, your Apple photo software already kind of does that. But imagine it was also able to connect... Yeah, so like I don't. I, I only use the, the Apple software for the last year, and then I go to really like a folder structure of my own. But mm -hmm. um, it's an interesting question. It, it, you might regret deleting photos, but there's also an intensity to really decide this is important, this is not. So you do delete some photos. Yeah, I only save a hundred a year, and I might take a thousand. Wow. So um, that's the rule. Wow. Mm. But so no, there's like no pictures of receipts in there or whiteboards or the back of your modem for the password and stuff like that. Uh, no, no, I delete those. <laughs> yeah, but but the um, so I guess only email is complete chaos. That's huh. really huh. search based. Yeah, and you're okay with that. Yeah, it's it's intentional. Yeah. Okay, I thought maybe it's like you lie in bed awake at night, oh. dusting the blankets. Around. No, no, no. I, I, the email, it's no, the last it's frontier. This, yeah, yeah, but. <laughs> If I switched phones and I lose all my texts, it's fine. So I recently, I don't like email actually does worry me. It's the one thing that worries me more than anything else. Like I, I mentioned the Pompidou, but I missed an email from, from someone coordinating something. And I didn't realize until I did a search being like, how come this person didn't respond or whatever? Mm -hmm. Like, does that ever happen to you that somehow an email doesn't show up? Like it gets automatically sorted because you know how Google introduced a like a file sorting system. Well, I, primary if, if you do inbox zero, you 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 look at an email, and if you feel like the conversation is finished, you hit archive, which means it it just doesn't show. Let's say it's, oh, it goes. Oh, you use the archive function. Yeah. Mm. That's interesting. That's I don't know if that's true inbox zero, but it's close to it, I think. Yeah, but so it's. There's been I occasions where I forgot to truth. reply or someone forgot to reply to me, but yeah. if something's important, you'll still reach out to each other. That's what I always think. That's what I said to Kristen. I was like, God damn it. Why wouldn't they have pinged me one more time? <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, but, uh, but then I think, some, I think yeah. with you in particular, with your health scare this year, then if, mm. if you're not on time for an appointment, I start to worry. So. You're not the only one. A few people have told me that. And I, yeah. I apologize that I've, I've set this precedent of me being like, on edge, like tomorrow I might be gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, um, but, um, yeah, yeah I, I do think the folder structure, um, it, it really helps me to, let's say in a, in a, here's an example of, of where the folder structure is important or difficult is, I, you know, abstract browsing, I make the tapestries. Yeah. So I use a software, it's a plugin. I made together with Rainier uh, maybe 2013, and it's a browser plugin. And if you turn it on, it uh, converts a web page into colorful geometry. And then I take screenshots of my browsing behavior, and I do that every month. And then I throw them in a folder for that month. And then I might organize them by name of the website, or I might organize them by orientation, landscape, or vertical, and etc. Yeah. 
And then I'll start to work with labels, like this one's good, this one's not so good with it. But that is a very abstract thing where it's almost the the name of the website is not that important or the so mm. that is an archive that always requires you to go through everyone and like at the at the moment I might decide this one's better than that one and maybe a year later I might feel different so it's it's basically it's impossible to really have a truly because the work is so abstract then yeah. folder names don't really apply and and the and the let's say you have a star system to rate things that is very subjective and you might feel different the next year. A star system. Is the, have you tried that? Yeah. Like a, you know, in, in Adobe Lightroom or, or software like oh, that, where you okay, have a yeah, contact yeah. sheet and you're like one through five stars. Yeah. That's interesting. Well, in design, we do that for patterns. Sometimes you'll rate the pattern, but it's not for like finding them. It's for like, here's where we have work to do. Here's where, well, it's interesting to me, basically, if, if you think of um, the phone as a recording device and, and with unlimited cloud storage, and so basically, it, yeah. it used to be you only have 36 uh, shots on a roll of film, so yeah. and it's pretty expensive, so you're careful. But now it's like, boom, 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 you shoot 20,000 pictures a month, and the more you shoot, the lower the odds are that you're ever going to go back and look at everything. No, you're right. And so and then, then, you, these... then you do favorites. You're like, okay, yeah. a favorite this one, a favorite. Or, or you let the AI pick stuff or whatever. No, I do the favorites thing. I, you're right. I'll be like, oh, I don't want to lose this one. I better yeah. favorite it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so favoriting is a folder. It's, it's a dynamic, uh, a, a tag-based files. It's, it's another yeah. way of dealing with folders. But, yeah, I, I, that one of the... Where does this end, though? But, but, you know what, what I'm saying? Yeah, 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 yeah. But what I found interesting about abstract browsing is that then... The physical works are the final choice, and yeah. then there's a very intentional like, oh, I can only make n- nine physical works for this exhibition, so now I really have to look, at, and it makes you look at the folder very differently. I almost feel like the folder structure is like the Earth's crust, like, <laughs> and you have like yeah. you're working your way out to the surface or something like that, or maybe it's the inverse. It's a pyramid, and the you you know the top is like underneath it is all of the steps. Yeah. But I've never organized my folders by stage, but that seems like in design, that's a, that's commonly what you would do. So you'd be like discovery, you know, and you'd have a folder for that, which would be like the research phase. And then you'd have, you know, f- wireframes and then you'd have uh, final designs, red lines, yeah. Uh, yeah. prototypes. And then I know my dad used to work that way back in the 90s. And it was a huge deal to like keep the... He had tons of clients, different designers working on things, including myself. And if you deviated from the folder structure, it could actually cost you exactly. dearly because like, there's a print deadline in an hour. Where's that high-res version of the file? Well, we've been working with the low-res sure. version. Yeah. And I remember it being very stressful. And I think as soon as I had the opportunity not to be too organized, I, I think that's well, how I became this drunken fool that you're talking about. Well, I, another <laughs> example is... Um, when I saved screenshots of my websites yeah. for the archive since a long time, I decided not to include the browser window in it because I thought the the work will look dated with an old browser window and that's not... So I only save, let's say, the artwork and not the browser Chrome. And then I tried to make everything the same size and my website had list, thumbnails of all the things and then Retina happens. And I didn't even... 
Mm-hmm. Last week I went retina with my thumbnails. It was like the last part of my website. I should have done it 10 years earlier, but whatever. And, yeah. and then I, I found out that some of them had a slightly different aspect ratio and I didn't notice for 10 years, even though I was trying to be so precise. There were like two or three that were a little off. I was like, hey, wait a minute. Yeah. So <laughs> That's the type of thing I can see you getting really irritated by. <laughs> That's, I could, like, but then that's it, it, it's and, like, a wonderful feeling after you've cleaned it up. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I know that feeling. I've had that feeling like three or four times in my life. Yeah. Um, Kristen is that person. She, like there's a file system for everything in our house. In fact, I took some tools out today. She's like, you know, Jeremy, I'd organized your tools according to a system. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, I'll put them back in the right drawers. Well, yeah. And, and to me, for example, um, making a monthly budget or that type mm. of stuff seems really a waste of time to me. You would think that I would be into that, but I'm like, well, there's this much money coming in and this much went out, and that's all the numbers I need to know. Mm, I see. Yeah, and like, I, of course, if you look at your phone bill, you think it's too high, but in general, the I, th- I guess budgets make sense when you have a fixed income. But otherwise, if, if your income is unpredictable, what, what good is the budget? No, yeah, a lot of people say that. Um... You know, ultimately, I, I, what, I, what I keep coming back to, though, is like, this is probably a problem for almost everyone. Like, certainly everyone listening has struggled with this at some point or another. But the number of times we talk about this, like in polite conversation or, or at parties or just over dinner, it's probably zero. Like, I, I wanted to talk about this because it's, it's like a boring a taboo. topic. But it's a real problem, right? Like, and well, it's only getting worse, like and, you said and that's, previously. That's the funny thing is that the computer promised to make life easier. That was the whole promise of the computer. It's like, well, you're doing spreadsheets manually, but now we can do automate it. So, well, I remember when I was growing up, my mom she insisted on everything goes in a little file. You know, she'd she'd always give me a little file folder. She's like, Jeremy, I've made you a file folder for your taxes. Jeremy, I made you a file folder for your press clippings, and then. I had a little filing cabinet that she got gave me <laughs> and I was like supposed to sort stuff and I was like this is really bizarre. But uh, but yeah, that, but that goes back to the same feeling I have with a budget. It's like if I spend all this time worrying about saving, if mm-hmm. I put that same money into earning like the yeah. mental space and you might feel the same way with organization. Like if I spend all this time archiving my own work, I'm not being creative and making new things. Well, yeah, and like the the point I was trying to make is like the desktop is was always like a skeuomorphic facsimile for the real your real desk, and the file folder was the filing cabinet with the folders like my mom was giving me, and like but and the like, thing mom, is, mom, I'm the, too cool for this. Get out of no, here. No, but if you were to try and like go back in reverse direction today, like so, what? How large a desk would you need? How deep a filing cabinet? Right? It would be like, you know, the desk would be the size of a football field. <laughs> The filing cabinet would be it would be like something in the matrix where just like the filing cabinet yeah. goes on for infinity. But, but so the 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 strategy of a successful artist, the classic successful artist is they use the ecosystem of the market and academia and admiration as their filing system. So if if you play the game mm, right, then the canon. everyone does that for you. And let's say Bruce Nauman is always a good example of Right. Eth- as far as I know, he doesn't even want to design the exhibitions, even his own. He's like, I make the work. Everybody else t- does their job. 
Yeah. And so I mean, certainly an artist after they die, they're not doing any filing anymore. Yeah. But they, you might have a, a spouse or you might have right, a family. Yeah, 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 yeah. But in general, the artist could be very hardline and say, like, I'm just in the studio making work. I don't want to know what happens after that. Like that's and then the other side of the spectrum is someone who's like, I have to define the narrative. I'm gonna decide I'm not gonna wait for someone to interview me. I'm gonna find someone to do it, and uh, or you know what I mean. Like I control the name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, it's similar to like an author who writes a book doesn't go to the library and said, "Let me organize this for you," right? Like, yeah. Apparently, you know. But then there's there's authors who are like, "Ah, oh, libraries are terrible. I'll build my own." And then maybe Stephen mm. King has his own, you know, builds his own. By museum. the way, apparently, like um, the Dewey Decimal System, which they don't really use anymore. Apparently, Dewey was a real jerk. <laughs> Like, inter- you know, that's like, and when you think of like file structures, do you know the, the, the library system, the Dewey Decimal System? No. Oh, maybe it's just the North American standard. But they, there were competing standards for how to organize American libraries at one point. And I, I assume like if you went to the world's most famous library Alexand- in Alexandria or whatever. Is that right? the one that burned? Yeah. Well, like they, well, basically it was viewed as this like, um, like eventually this like uh this sinful kind of uh like anti-christian kind of site of like knowledge was for, forbidden in it, in that form or it was like a the type of knowledge was sinful or whatever so they burned all the books and the and the whole thing down but i wonder i've never read about how well it was organized you know um but the- you i think it was all human knowledge like you oh, had the yeah, yeah, yeah. You had the specific, not the librarian, but the monk or whomever was in there, and it was in their head how things were organized. Yes, yeah. and and that's always at the heart of it is that because humans found a way to externalize their memory, you can remember more. You can remember everybody's memories through books and art and music and all these things. So, what we're really doing is we're uploading our brains to different mediums. We're, yeah, we're but what I've always personality. Uh, what I've read, I read in this book, Einstein Walking on the Moon, is like we organize our memories are actually organized spatially, like because we're just like your, you know, my cat. If they escape the house, they can find their way home, right? Um, even though they're not very bright, our or, our brains and our memories are are tied to space. It's a, a wayfinding principle, and so there's this concept of the memory palace. I think I've mentioned it a few times where. You know, in uh, in the olden days before computers and whatever, you know, people would remember vast quantities of knowledge by putting the knowledge inside of a physical imaginary space in their head you think, and really then walking think, through the space. Do you really believe that? They did it. It was how people remembered I, vast I remember amounts of knowledge. before um, the internet, all this stuff, I would know all my friends' phone numbers. And did you put them in a the little house that you no. walked through and looked at? No. <laughs> so I, I'm not buying that story. But I'm talking about remembering like, Ton, like all of the books or yeah, like the the like Odyssey of the genus Ulysses, of species. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah. but um, what's interesting? What's yeah. interesting about the current mode of production of, of our new media artists is that the computer is a database machine. That's all it is. It's just storing yeah. things. It, it's it is a library. It is it is the universal library. So we make work for the universal library. It's not even. A sculptor will take a picture, and that's the translation of the sculpture to the library. But we're making work that is database ready. I think, yeah, but I think it's a moment in time is is the argument I'm making here because 
A, like, there's no reason why we invented file systems that are flat, essentially, like, and no, non-spatial. I don't no, know but if like, I think I know where you're going, but I've seen all those wait, renders you, of, you? Of, of 3D Wikipedia. And it's like, well, it's no, just no, because, no, no, do you no. know what's... Ha- the big change in databases now, like, a pinecone database is a vector database. So, like, the idea now is not to store things in tables and rows, but to store them in vectors, which is you, that I would some assume. AI stuff? Yeah, it's AI stuff. Yeah, but yeah. like, it's I, the so relationship between things. I know, but I think you're, I mean, you're the king of vectors. You love vectors. Yeah, in um, 2D. Yeah, I don't know. Because, but no, it, because you love the infinite nature. Of I know, them, but right? I I do think the, I remember in the 90s, this 3D animation of the information superhighway and this car, and then it stops at the library and then borrows a book and then it goes to the <laughs> video store and then you get that. Yeah. That's the spatial thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I'm thinking and it's that's just too so literal. corny. Yeah. I'm saying spatial. I, I as understand in that if you want to mimic things. the complexity of the human brain, it's like it, there are more <laughs> electrodes in the brain than stars in the galaxy and all this kind of shit. But I almost I, look, I'm about to like forecast a breakthrough in file systems. Yeah. AI enabled file systems will be relational. I think that's what everyone's trying to do, and it's not good enough right now, right? But if it, yeah, if it yeah. could but, be. But the counter argument yeah. is that. So one argument is like the human mind is chaotic, so computers should be chaotic. Yeah. The counter argument is like, what if you could summarize 10 years of your life in three words? And, and, and it's the shortest poem, but it just hits and it makes archiving so much easier. And that maybe there's something beautiful about condensing No, I think things. you're making a good point. Also, like if the computer were to able to anticipate the file you needed before you needed it, you might never have the opportunity to like accidentally open the wrong file, you know? Yeah. I Like, I feel like an, maybe my imperfect file system in some ways is the perfect file system. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I think, it. I don't know where it comes from, but I'm always drawn to simplicity. And that's why I, yeah. I prefer early video games to current video games. And I like mm. animation from the, I was just, HBO has a little thing about animation before Disney and some of the really early experiments from, I don't know, 1910. Oh, well, there was a lot of, like, just geometry. Like, yeah, yeah. And it's amazing. Yeah. And it was so, it's so restrictive. And But I'm glad someone archived it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, a but, lot of that. Uh, but, but part of, of why it was imperfect. archivable is because it was so condensed. Yeah. I mean, a huge amount of television history is not archived, though, because um, they would record television. They would actually broadcast it live. Oh, I see. Yeah. And then they would record the, like it on film like what what the tv like on off a tv so it was but it was never as crisp as what you would have seen live Mm. um and so and then a lot of that that film degraded or was lost and so huge like that i mean we've talked about this before the archive that's a separate podcast episode but it's kind of related to this where but so we're we're growing up in an environment where our canvas is constantly archiving and recording itself yeah yeah that's yeah. very different. Like, there's a there's a YouTube movie of of uh, David Hockney on an early graphic computer, and it's basically a big wooden table with an electronic pen, and the whole table is like a giant touchpad, or it it knows the coordinates yeah. of the pen, and then he's looking at a TV screen, like a real <laughs> CRT. Like basically, I don't know if you remember those old editing stations, yeah. like Avid. Yeah. It looked like that, and he's describing like someone is filming him. But they also use the TV signal directly. So what he's seeing on the TV is then broadcast to the BBC. And 
uh, edited, cut together with shots of him looking at that screen. Mm. So you, you're looking over the shoulder of David Hockney looking at the TV, and then you get his TV feed, basically the TV he's looking at. Yeah. And I thought that was interesting, and he's describing it as he's drawing. He's like, what you're seeing right now on national TV yeah. is what I'm looking at, and it's one-to-one. It's not a reproduction. Yeah. We're both yeah. seeing the same signal. That's and so fantastic. that's a moment where he is like, and he's talking about the glow of contrasting colors on the same screen and how they kind of, the edges blend because it's it's CRT, so it has a specific, oh, yeah. Uh, no, yeah, the cathode ray tubes. And, and so he's describing what he's seeing. And of course, we're seeing it now on YouTube. It's different, but there is that directness that we are used to that is very natural to us that, like you could be coding something in a browser and change some variables, change some colors, and someone else sees almost exactly the same thing. Or, mm. Yeah, I still find that magic. But, but I don't know where I'm going with this, but that the whole idea of an archive is just... Well, you made me think of something, though. That I, I, th- I think I saw a startup that basically the idea is like everything that you ever do on your computer is recorded in real time. Like... Um, <laughs> or if Google this search. doesn't exist, it should, right? Like this conversation, the desktop view. And I remember when I first started making videos, I really thought this was the, like I did a bunch of videos where it was the actual computer interface I was moving around and stuff. And I, I remember thinking like, this is like the stage or the performance space. How come no one's recording this? Right. But it seems like an obvious gesture. It, that it eventually... made me think of uh, this, this video of Jody that was purchased by MoMA. Did you see mm-hmm. it in, in MoMA? Which one is that? With the files? It's, yeah, it's, it's a four-channel video of them yeah. uh, basically messing up their system. So they, they take a blank computer and you see the desktop and they just start hitting new folder infinitely and it just makes yeah. stacks of folders and, and at some point it crashes. No, that's the master work that I would reference yeah. today. Yeah. Like I didn't know about that then, but it's beautiful. I, I saw it at the time, it, like really by chance in 2003, I was in New York randomly and they had an opening at iBeam which was kind of a last minute thing it was a great show and I didn't know who I never met them and I saw them there and, like, oh, this is... and then years later it was in MoMA but uh, yeah that's yeah. an amazing work yeah it is it's fantastic and um, yeah so I just I, I wonder now that we're like maybe there's just a little a, a brief moment to touch on like what's likely to be this week's news which is like this Apple VR AR headset. And the reason I wanted to describe it very briefly where folder structure is concerned is like, if the computer, because we've been talking about the computer as a desktop, right? That analogy. But the, the analogy for what an AR VR computing experience might be it right now is like your little drive to the library on the superhighway situation. Like if you use a Quest, like uh, the Meta Quest, the Facebook VR headset, you are going to like you start off in a little home, like yeah, you have yeah, to go they, around they your living room these, to access things. Yeah. And it seems so ridiculous. <laughs> it, it's the point I was trying to make earlier, right? About wouldn't it be better to organize it spatially? It's actually when you do it, it's extremely irritating. Exactly. You know? Yeah, and I'm very um I wouldn't say pessimistic, but I feel like the last few hypes there's been a lot of promise and I feel the same way with AI. It's like Mm. I, I get it. It can it can make cool looking stock images and 
I saw you made an a, a anime character of yourself and without a lot of effort, and it, it's easy. Yeah. But I'm just not that excited about it. And and VR, AR, I'm sure Apple's going to do something. I'm not so sure a lot of people will use it. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure what to do with AI right now either, in a way, because I'm not that excited about it. But what I'm trying to do is every day play with it. I have a mid-journey subscription. But with AR, VR stuff, you're right. Like it's often I've that's why I've made it a big part of well, the people humor. People want the next breakthrough. The, the investors but they want it really so want bad it through that. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's the most kind of projected future that we have because it, even some of those demos you're talking about, like the Hockney demo and stuff. In a way, even back then there were there was a few demos that were augmented reality, so all the way back to the 1960s. And so I've always talked about that being the infinite promise, like a promise yeah. that never arrives. But it is an interesting question once you're in that 3D environment. So we're in an environment, the, the 2D environment basically is a giant spreadsheet. Like an HTML page is basically a spreadsheet. It, yeah. you, you have a space and you can put images or pieces of code or pieces of sound or whatever, but it's all still organized in a grid. But once you're in that, three-dimensional space it's not so natural to store files like you if you're walking through a facebook meta forest and you're going there with your friends it's not it's not intuitive to save that conversation it's very simple to save an email well i hated all of those nft experiments in like geographic space i yeah. found them like yeah, 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 morally yeah. offensive well i'm i'm glad you say that so i don't have to say that because i'm, I'm always the one who's against 3d but yeah there have been many moments of, of 3D display technology that failed. And like 3D cinema was tried, I don't know, ever since the invention of cinema and like the, the, the stereoscopic photos and all this stuff. And it just never really took off. What it reminds me of, of though, is like, um, I remember seeing a video, I can't remember who it was by, it was a curator about like, um, the you know, when exhibition design became a formal discipline. Because you have to imagine like the idea of an exhibition that was a concept at some point right that we would put stuff yeah the world's fair in, and, and things like this exactly yeah. exactly and like they went through various permutations of how to do this right yeah it's um, like they, they would go to the colonies throw dynamite in a tree whatever falls out you put in a box and then <laughs> i mean I'm, right. I, I'm not exaggerating no you're right yeah. but then like but they had to figure out then how to tell stories in space you know when yeah. you go to a museum most of the time you're reading text on a wall which I've always found, like, when I'm in that situation, I'm like, why am I doing this? Like, yeah. isn't this a book with, <laughs> like, 3D space? Yeah. Um, and so you have to imagine that, like, we're going th through the same kind of awkward phase. But ultimately, when you, when you put together an exhibition, it's surprising how, unless you're an installation artist, right? But for a lot of artists that work in two dimensions, they're very rarely doing anything except thinking about scale on the wall and like I think about that a lot and I think this goes back to the folder structure where as a net artist or a software artist you you make your ideas so they fit in a folder basically or they fit mm -hmm. through the network you make them a bit low res you make them short so the internet time span and then you go to the exhibition space and the parameters are so different but still because things are digital they're kind of liquid so you could show your videos at any scale but a painter once the painting is done that's it and you can't scale it up or down yeah and i always remember do you do you remember mogridge the designer he designed the first laptop oh yeah uh, the one with the 
the space for the pencil. The black one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the grid, I think it was called. Yeah. But what he, like his famous quote is, I designed the case and it was perfect, but then I started to use the laptop and I didn't notice the case at all. He became absorbed by the command prompt and the text on screen. And he realized at that point that three-dimensional space was not actually the super, like the higher order. It was actually the space inside the screen. Well, it, it's, a great, it's a great argument. Like, often when we think about art history, it kind of separates painting and sculpture. Mm-hmm, yeah. and, and it does seem some people have a talent for 2D and some people have a talent for 3D. And it, there's not much overlap. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't, I don't know. It, 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 you don't think of Rodin's paintings, or maybe you do. I'm, I'm not such an expert, but I think Calder would be one example of yeah. the thought in both 2D and 3D. But, yeah, but but the the interesting thing is, imagine there was only painting, and then some technology company said, "Look, we made 3D. Now all the artists can do 3D." Mm-hmm, but then some mm-hmm. artists are like, "Uh, I really yeah. like 2D." They're like, yeah, no, uh, you're old. You're old fashioned. <laughs> Yeah, it does remind me of when 3D cinema and 3D TV came out. We're a little bit far from the folder thing, but I think it relates to it in so much as like the type of information, how it's organized. You know, it, in some ways you could argue that maybe it's affected by the the systems in which it has to be organized. There's this concept of like Conway's law, which is that every system, um, like every design has a, a inherently reflects the systems, the organizing systems and principles behind it. Like even the like, organizational structure of the company um and so it's really hard to separate the thing you make from the way it's organized Mm -hmm. and ultimately i wonder if the computer desktop sometimes has like steered us towards that but let's say that you are um, a maker of luxury yachts so Mm. you're you're the the architect or whatever you call it the 3d designer of those yachts the concept and then you work with a lot of people who do the upholstery and the metal and the the, whatever you have a whole team people working on it you don't you can't put those in a cupboard afterwards you could take a picture but you can't save them and you might not even be able to afford one yourself so you might not Mm. ever have one of your own works or maybe the same for jewelry designers they can't afford their own work and so no it's a great example but there's this idea there's something great about finishing a work and then letting it go and it's someone else's problem well you know the hilarious like trump card in that situation is you'd likely take a photo like a flat yeah file archive and, and remember at and the beginning so, of the podcast i was like flat files but but the, the 3d scanners have been around for a long time but i don't think a lot of architects 3d scan their buildings they want photos that's right. Yeah. They have the CAD and then they have photos. Yeah. yeah. Like who 3D scans a, a tower that they've built? Because they already have the construction files. Yeah. I think yeah. I've heard now that they're doing drone photography and photogrammetry of buildings, but I don't think it's for their archives. Um, and either way, you're not st- like there used to be architects would store a maquette of their building, right? So you'd have like a little um, styrofoam oh, or yeah. wood version of it. Yeah. But I should talk to my brother, uh, he's an architect, about where do they put all those? Like, they must well, throw them in the dumpster. I, I heard that um, in the Netherlands there's a place called, or it used to be NIE, the Netherlands Architecture Institute, and yeah. that became the new institute because the, the Ministry of Culture decided, let's merge fashion, design, e-culture, and architecture in one institution, and that's what it became. 
Mm, sounds innovative. Yeah, but they, <laughs> they have a whole history that they were mostly an architecture archive and say they would handpick certain agencies and then archive their whole body of work, like certain wow. studios. Mm-hmm. So they have a lot of maquettes and all these things and it goes back very far, but they can't archive everything. And so a lot of architects would come up to them and say, I want to donate my archive. And they're like, no, sorry, only the best. And that's also a, a function of institutions, this this weird selection. And they might be wrong, like maybe years later, like, wow, we should have yeah, saved that. That's what we haven't talked about at all. That's kind of been nagging at me this whole podcast. It's like, you know, part of my flux of spirit says, if I can't find it, it's not meant to be found. You know, that like you let the... Mm-hmm. Totally. The corpse die and yeah, rot yeah, yeah. into the earth. Yeah. You know? and, but we're not allowing that with some of the... Like the file systems, I guess we are. Like you're saying you don't touch your inbox, so you've decided that's a living organism. Well, I don't, I don't really... I want access to it, but I don't see it as historically relevant. And yeah. I, I want access to it, but I don't want historians to have access to my email. But the final thing on the AI front is just like, I've, you know, you think about modernism and postmodernism, a file structure, a structured internet, you know, with fi- files in the right places is really kind of a form of modern control. Like I know that there's a top down model for how to organize things, but emergent models like which AI leverages is the predictability. Like it's like there are certain like variables that you can predict might manifest themselves as an ultimate design or outcome. Yeah. Like, every, you know, every image already exists, so we will allow the yeah. images but what, to what's interesting about that powerful. is that uh, my issue with AI and uh, VR and all these things is that they're all extrapolations. Like, it kind of sucks right now, but it's going to be awesome. Mm. And like, Yeah, I'm thinking about it more in terms of postmodern and modern kind of like... Yeah, yeah, but you're also ideology. talking about a technology that doesn't exist yet. Mm-hmm. And so you're well, saying... AI you're definitely saying does like, exist, uh, yeah. Sorry? AI does exist. Yeah, but up to a certain point. But it can't be like, well, we'll predict your wedding photos and we'll predict what your kids look like so you don't even have to take the photos. Yeah. No, I I know I I did say that the other day on the podcast, but I'm thinking more like if everything's recorded, then it will be like, in some ways, like you're going to want almost like... um flows like you're going to want things to emerge in your somehow in your consciousness <laughs> i don't know that's going to yeah, work I'm, but but yeah. like we we choose to record these conversations and share them yeah and now almost every morning i talk to rainier for half an hour about my work and like oh well, should we finish this one or should we finish that one uh, uh, this one needs to be a bit faster that one needs to feel mm-hmm. a bit smoother etc and we're talking about interesting stuff but none of that is recorded and that's yeah. where you, you're like, historically, a lot of letters between artists and gallerists and curators and maybe yeah. printmakers, whatever, they were all, they could only write so many letters, so they, it was easy to save. Like, oh, there's only 100 letters between these two people. Mm-hmm. But if you're collaborating, like, let's say in Jeff Koons' studio, there's like 100 people, they're all having interesting conversations, they're all having decisions. Nobody's recording everything. Yeah. And I don't think yeah. I don't think that's healthy. This idea of recording everything. I think you you become reserved. That's what I'm saying. If you, if you that's the that point I'm recorded. almost making, though. Also, is like we should. There'll probably be a counter movement of like destroy everything. Let's not archive. Well, anything. that's kind of what Snapchat did, right? That's oh yeah, you're right. Yeah, that's the best point. Maybe we stop there because good point is that like 
we already reached that point where people were like, archive. I don't, I don't want, well, I have a friend here in Calgary that I've made, Carl. He said, I actually, it's funny. He was like, are you going to mention me on the podcast? <laughs> I was talking to him yesterday and he has erased his entire identity on the internet. As I was looking for a photo to draw of him and there's only one photo of him with someone else that he worked with on the internet. And I was like, how did you do that? He's like, oh, I've worked really hard to get everything removed. And then I, was, I mentioned that I had found some of his rate my professor ratings and he was like yeah it really bothers me that those are online i'm going to try and contact them and have them removed but his ultimate state is to be completely invisible um and it it, it he expresses the almost like a form of modesty that for him is a, of what's aesthetic his profession value. he's a, an artist but what yeah. kind he's he works with film media but he has he started in digital media and eventually he decided but that it, he was more interested is in he obsolete. a full-time artist yeah, yeah, full-time artist and art teacher. Well, that, uh, th- those are two different things. Here. Well, he works at the art college here, but he works full-time as an artist. Yeah, I mean, he's not making his income primarily as no, an artist. No, that's my point. Yeah. It's very but, easy uh, to say, like, I'm too cool for social media, but if you yeah. want to make a living, it, there's, a, there's a generation of Gen X artists that can do without social media and self-promotion, but mm-hmm. everybody, every other schmuck like me, we, we have to let people know what we're doing Mm, that's interesting yeah he seems to yeah be fine i mean he's definitely his career is like locally isolated to this this region geographically if 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 your work if your income relies on uh, something Mm -hmm. else than selling your work then it's very easy to be aloof and say like i'm too cool for that yeah i guess the point i was trying to make was just that like some people have already chosen that the recording is is not important, right? Like, um, or is yeah. they've rejected it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, Tino Segal is the f- the most uh, clear yeah, example, example of that. And obviously, I've talked about Chris Burden forever, but he did. You know what? The crazy thing about Chris Burden is he did record everything. <laughs> That's like, That's a, yeah, so he's like an archive fetishist. It seems. Yeah, because he couldn't resist. Anyway, yeah. we should we could keep going. Apparently, like folders, <laughs> folder structure is stirs a up a lot podcast. of emotions. Yeah. <laughs> Um, this week in folder structure <laughs> brought to you by Gimlet Media. <laughs> and then um, we have a field recording. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mark Rabba, who sent in a question, uh, I guess a few weeks ago. It's uh, the sound of rain on the top of the car. I love the sound of rain in the summer. Yeah. It's so wonderful. Yeah, um, yeah let's yes, listen. That's the type of thing I would fall asleep let's to enjoy. as a kid. And uh, thank you for listening, and we'll save this to a folder. Okay, thank you. Yeah, that's right. Okay, bye-bye.